Welcome to the Digital Dudes Podcast. Uh, you know, Rita, I had, I won't say fantasies, but like forward thinking. I loved already that, <laughs> that very quick distinction. Yeah. Uh, when I was, so we've been dark, dark like two months because I went on parental leave. So this is the first one back. And I was like, oh yeah, the first one back, it's going to be so energetic. I can't wait. And then the I don't feel super energetic today. Maybe it's because I told you about the 5.30 wake up and then snow shoveling by hand, and now I'm just drained. So Yeah, I, I would guess that has something to do with it. So <laughs> I bollocksed this uh, bollocksed. welcome back. Another stadium. <laughs> Shenanigans, for those that don't know, is yeah. another one to look out for. Yeah. I used that yesterday, so some of your, your isms are back. Yeah. And my, uh, do you? it's not pregnancy brain. What is it for the for the... <laughs> the non-birthing parent. What do they call that? Dumb dad brain. Dumb dad brain. Yeah. That is in full effect for sure. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Well, I wish I could tell you it goes away. Yeah. I, does it get worse? Does it, or does it just kind of keep the, keep on going? I'd have to let them answer that. Okay. <laughs> I think uh, I'll just say flurries, you know? Yeah. <clears throat> well, yeah, I'm here. I'm back. And now we're scheduled. Erica has it scheduled out for like two months or something on interviews and things. So we will yep. we will catch back up and get into our normal r- weekly rhythm. So there won't be a big dark. And I this is the other thing I realized. We totally should have um, put like a, had pre-recorded like an episode that was like, hey, we're going to be on hiatus for like 10 weeks or whatever. Yeah. And it struck me at, like in week nine of the hiatus. I was like, oh, shoot, we should have. <laughs> Missed that boat. That. Yeah. <laughs> that was before the baby came. Yeah, I know, right? Yeah. Uh, well, that's where, uh, I guess, Olivia and Erica will keep us more on track moving forward. Yep. Excited. Uh, I'm sure we'll have Olivia on for at least a short cast. But um, since you mentioned her name, yeah, we have a, a marketing director joining us for the first time. Um, and we're super pumped to, you know, see what she can bring to the table. But uh, certainly uh, some level of additional organization <laughs> With this, this podcast is part of that, um, but she'll also be happy to know she's got Erica to yeah to help reel us in. Yeah. Well, Erica did organize this one, and on this episode, we have Phil, previously from Aminify, but now he's uh, doing some consulting work, and he came on to talk about uh, the changing uh, consumer uh, and their relationship with your brand uh, for multifamily. Do I have that right? Yeah, I think so. I, I'm going to assume that you deliberately did not include his last name in that. 100%. Are okay. you kidding me? <laughs> yeah, I thought I knew you that well. Well, um, with Phil's help, he got it right, uh, you know, in, in past this intro, but mm-hmm. I, I am going to put you on the spot. Give, it, give could, it a swing. I could. I don't even, frankly, remember it. <laughs> if I was reading it, I would give it a crack. I don't even. Sorry, Phil. We went to lunch. It was lovely. He'll be back. Yeah. But I, I just know him as Phil. Well, when David first meets somebody, and certainly there's examples of this on the cast, their last name could be Smith, and he'll, he'll make sure he's got it right. So, um, yeah. I got a kick out of that that moment with we, Phil because it's you, not your everyday last name. If we would have uh, recorded the intro right after, I would have taken a swing because I would have then still said I had. But now fresh. I can't even. I couldn't even tell you the first letter of the name right now. I'm gonna go with M. Okay, as in mom. I thought yeah. it was S. I don't. This is how far <laughs> off my brain was. <laughs> yeah. Well, effort. anyways, yes, you did get that right. Um, as far as you know, kind of what the focus or you know, what 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 um, yeah, the line of conversation was with Phil. And biggest takeaways, why should they continue listening? Well, I like, and maybe it's because, you know, birds of a common feather flock together, but just 
Uh, I'm so glad I got that right, by the way. <laughs> Screen uh, doors on a submarine. <laughs> <laughs> but it was just uh, his background coming predominantly from non-multifamily, I think always brings uh, a different perspective, I guess, for us, for the cast. Um, far from a lifer, but also converted, similar to you and I, uh, to somebody that seems like he wants to stay in this industry for good. So I, I thought that was uh, fun, um, you know, him coming at it from a little bit different. But yeah, he really hit hard, you know, the is brand loyalty dead or not? And how does that apply in our universe um, and I thought he did a nice job of kind of covering the spectrum, you know, from, uh, you know, property branding to, you know, the tech companies that are now kind of usurping, I guess, uh, you know, these properties and, um, and how operators are, are thinking about it. And then, you know, he definitely shared, um, even though at the stage, I guess he's consulting now with Aminify, but, um, really offered some, I think, interesting perspective and color around Aminify and where they're at and how they got there and stuff. So a lot of, a lot of good stuff there. Yeah. When he was talking, uh, all I remember, th- or one of the things I remember thinking was, is it not just brand loyalty dead, but is just loyalty dead or waning? Right. Cause we were talking about it with like all the, like how employees don't stick at companies as often. In fact, people jump careers more frequently now and not just even like out of companies. Um, so can you think of anything where loyalty is as strong as you ever knew it or, in all sectors, are you seeing loyalty or feeling or hearing the conversation about loyalty waning? You know, I think I don't, I couldn't tell you exactly when this happened, but one of the things that uh, a trend in marketing that hit within the last decade, um, but I don't funny enough hear as much about today is cause marketing. And I think at the root of cause marketing is brand loyalty is, you know, if you get that right, um, and Simon Sinek, you know, one of many people we, we will reference from time to time on this cast talks about how valuable and powerful the why is. Um, and he points, you know, many times to Apple and how that's created not, he never used the word cult, but just like, I think to some degree, a, a great loyalty, um, because of the way they position themselves and obviously, you know, the product itself. So I don't think it's dead across the board. Um, I think, you know, if you can connect more on the purpose and, and kind of the mission of the brands, which so many books and marketing classes are now focused on that, that you can still find that. But I, I think that there is a point of diminishing returns and that's not the same for everybody where, um, you're, you and I have talked about this, even with our own employee loyalty, um, you know, there's a point where we end, you know, where we've done everything we can to, to generate that, you know, or, or build that relationship. And it's not going to stick or connect with everybody, but it's super powerful when there's even a few. And I think on some level, that's how, you know, bigger brands and companies have to view it too, is, you know, it does still exist. You can get to it and you just have to somewhat manage your expectations. Otherwise you might be set up for disappointment and even more in this era than, than 10, 15, 20 years ago. Well, I do agree with you. It's not dead. I'm just wondering if it's, more challenging than it used to be or because I also feel like if, if you screw up, people are seem way more likely to discount you immediately now. And so, uh, and I, and I'll go back to like my, uh, this is somewhat tie, but I remember growing up. Cancel culture. Well, yeah, there's that, but, uh, growing up, we, uh, we always had aqua fresh and I always saw the commercials for crest. I was like, Oh, why don't we ever get crest mom? And she's like, cause your dad grew up with crest and he 
hated being forced to use Crest, so he won't have any more. I'm like, so he lived with his parents 20 years. So 20 years of Crest, and now we've been on Aquafresh for 40 years. I don't know like how this like how this works, uh, uh, meaning the loyalty, but where I'm going is uh, people, they used to say like, if you were a CPG brand, it's like you get them at 18 and then you have them for 40 years and like the payoff, the CAC, you know, is awesome. I'm just wondering if that's the same, like, are those, is, is that the same now? And, uh, I'm guessing not because I do think people are way more in tune with your brand. And so when you screw up, you're way more likely to lose them. Uh, and it's almost like, should you actually be silent in many ways? Cause it's one of those things. It's almost like, um, you can, it's the uh, seven powers. You can have all this brand equity, but, uh, it can like reverse on you. Like if you're that present in whatever the, the, the mind of, of the public, and then you're that visible and then you screw up. It's like, now you're going to lose people really quickly too. Super interesting, um, I guess, take on it and, and simply put, you know, be careful not to try too hard because if you are overwhelming somebody, then yeah, the, the possibility of backfiring is definitely real. I, I think this is such an interesting, and we said that, you know, with Phil, like conversation, you can take it so many different places because another thing that occurs to me is, and I don't know this will ever change with humanity is we're creatures of habit mm -hmm. and don't confuse, you know, I guess habitual usage of a brand with brand loyalty, because I'll mm -hmm. use just a very topical uh, ex example of like my, my Acura. I'm not loyal <laughs> to the brand Acura. <laughs> yeah. uh, uh, and, and it's not that I think it's a bad brand. I think a lot of people have probably a positive association with it. But I have gotten, you know, a comfort level with it. And so when I go out and purchase the next vehicle, there is an advantage that Acura already has and that I have some level of a relationship, I guess, with them. So I might go out and buy another MDX. Yeah. That's not brand loyalty, but that happens, I think, all the time where people are overwhelmed by choices and in an era where choices are are just, you know, pro proliferating at a ridiculous rate in every imaginable part of our lives, does it actually force people to to narrow their, their I guess, habits and routines and then give brands and companies false I ideas of how loyal, in fact, their, mm -hmm. their customer base is. The other part that I, we didn't dive into more that I would be really interested to hear, and whether that's from you or, or Phil comes back with it, is what is the most modern method right now of scoring brand loyalty? I would love to get into whoever built that and and just deconstruct it and talk about it. Because when he got into it, I was like, we started talking about usage statistics versus, mm -hmm. you know, the bottom line, the economics of it, general sentiment, things like net promoter score, um, you know, mm -hmm. retention, communication within the, the community, blah, blah, blah. And so I told on the, on the, I think I said this, but I use the word fractional a lot on that uh, when we talk to him. And I'm probably stealing from you because you use that word too, but that makes it so damn hard to know mm -hmm. exactly, you know, what's real, what's not, and then where to optimize, I guess, to really get more loyalty out of somebody. Mm -hmm. So yeah, oh, it's, it's a fascinating topic. I'd love your take just to highlight it, just what we just talked about, but it's like, just cause I'm in Slack every day doesn't mean I like it. Exactly. Right. It's yep. like, and they may think I'm loyal cause my usage statistics are great. It's like, they're not actually that great, but uh, <laughs> I think you, I won't, I won't 
Provo- I, I will provoke you yeah, yeah. with Slack. Yeah. yeah. All right. Well, anyways, if you guys want to hear more about brand loyalty and get get in the weeds, then stay tuned. Okay, we're here with Phil. Phil, why don't you go ahead and introduce yourself? Hey, great to be here. Uh, Phil Matsuhashi. Uh, I was a co-founder, uh, COO, CRO at Amenify. Uh, we built a uh, platform for lifestyle services that plugged into multifamily industry, mostly Class A, uh, 175,000 homes, 30 cities. Um, I am currently on the advisory board at Amenify, stepped away uh, about a quarter ago. Uh, honestly, just foot was twitching at all the exciting stuff going on in uh, in prop tech. Uh, I had, you know, put in uh, quite a tour of duty and wanted to work on some new things. And um, yeah, it, right now I'm sort of bouncing around, doing some consulting, doing some podcasts, um, power networking, and uh, keeping my eye out for what's next. Yeah, cool. Can well, I jump real, jump right in real fast? You mentioned how you got connected to Amen, um, Amenify and with Everett. If you don't mind sharing that with our listeners, because they've they've heard uh, Everett a few times mm-hmm. on the podcast. We also had him at the summit, so that'd be a good connection to make. Because you had also told us you started more on the ad networking and and the programmatic side and whatnot before you got into multifamily. But Dave and I always find it interesting, like to hear about how somebody got sucked into uh, multifamily. And, <laughs> and that sounds negative because, you know, we are very happy to be here and, and we identified it as, as a place that we you wanted to You want to say be. like sucked into the muck? Yeah, right, right, right. You like yeah. to call it the orbit. <laughs> um, and then it sounds like you plan to stay. So that's the other thing I'd, I'd love for you to touch on before we fully dive in. So, uh, yeah, how did you make the connection with Everett and Amenify, and then uh, it sounds like you want to stay in multifamily through PropTech. I would love, yeah, I would love to. I, I, I so it's good encapsulation. Basically, the first half of my career, first part of my career was uh, media, ad tech, adver- you know, digital advertising, the development of sort of the pipes, if you will, under the internet to do all of the, you know, digital advertising and, and programmatic advertising where, where all the smartest minds are now. If, if it weren't for uh, all the engineers uh, working on programmatic advertising on the internet, we'd probably be on Mars by now. Um, but, uh, you know, I, I, took, I took a step away from that whole industry and was doing some consulting. And I was doing some consulting in that industry and got introduced to Everett through a mutual friend, a, a childhood friend of mine and a, uh, a colleague of his um, from a, from a, uh, when he was doing asset management. And, uh, and he was looking to start sort of get Amenify going and, and needed to put sort of partnerships together um, in the early iterations of Amenify. And the the thing that got me most excited is you know spending you know 15 plus years in ad tech the the thing that you know most people will tell you about it is it's just it's very intangible right you 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 go to work and you you know you do a bunch of work and all this stuff is happening in the ether and you don't see you know you don't really feel like you see any of the fruits of your labor right um and 
one of the things I got real excited about was, of course, you see these big, beautiful assets as you drive down the street. But if you're not in that industry, you don't always think about them the same way. And started to tell me about Amenify and what he was trying to build. And um, and then all of a sudden, you know, like when, you know, you, you, see, you hear something and you see it everywhere, uh, you know, I, it, 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 it was a big flip for me in terms of, wow, this is such a tangible world where you're, you're literally, you know, working on helping people live better. You know, you're providing people with homes and, you know, you're thinking about how to amenitize those properties and, and make their lifestyle and their experience better. And, um, that got me really excited, just how tangible it was. And, um, and as we know, right, sometimes it's hard for tech to inject itself at the speed that it, it does in other industries into multifamily, right? So I, I look at that as like, there's, there's still such a huge opportunity for so much innovation that's happening, right? But how do you get that, how do you get that innovation across these large portfolios that, that want that innovation? And so that's, you know, I would love to stay in multifamily. And that's a lot of the conversations I'm having, but it's really the tangible nature of the industry that is really exciting for me coming from ad tech. Cool. Well, I'd tack on, uh, meaning not to lead you too much, but there's more than just the tangible, I would imagine. Like when you deal with ad tech, there's some folks that aren't super pleasant necessarily to work with. Uh, as you mentioned, like there's a, there's a lot of great brain power in ad tech, but it's not a bunch of kumbaya necessarily or like very cordial folks. You told us before you started how, uh, before we started that uh, you used to be in New York trying to convince publishers that, you know, the print publishers about digital and that there's, it's really cutthroat or can be really cutthroat, particularly in New York. And so I'm sure you, it felt really comfortable once you started to know a lot of the folks in multifamily and how just great the community is. I, I definitely agree with that. I'd say, you know, in ad tech, uh, a long tenure is 18 months, right? Mm -hmm. And it, it fascinated me you know, as I started to really get into growing Amenify, it's like meeting people at different um, operators, like, oh yeah, I've been here 20 years, right? And so that was that was really refreshing for me to see that it's a community that people care about and, you know, people stick around in and they develop their own brands, right? In these communities um, as, you know, uh, you know, heads of these large, rates and managers and whatnot. And so people definitely stick around in the industry, which is also fascinating considering there's like maybe one, maybe two, I think one or two schools where you can actually get a degree yes. in property yeah. management. So that part's really interesting too, that how people find the industry exactly. is interesting and, and then how they, they tend to yeah. stay in it. Tons of hospitality, but not yeah. uh, multi family. Although I did hear, somebody told me recently that there's now seven across the country, which regardless, seven is not a lot. That's still very few. And I still haven't met someone that's gone through one of those programs. Um, all right. Well, let's then move into the topic at hand, which is brand loyalty. So when you were at Aminify, you said a lot of the challenges you had to work on was not only do you have to get the operator interested, the property management company, but then once, just because they signed the contract doesn't mean like it's all roses on your side. You've got to get the consumers to adopt, right? Uh, the uh, the technology and start making part of their own, you know, workflow, if you will, for their life. So talk us through some of those challenges. And as you mentioned uh, beforehand to us that you'd been working on it for seven years. So seven years is a long time. So what's changed in seven years and sort of give us the past, present, future of consumers with multifamily. Yeah. So I think that was a very eye-opening sort of almost sobering moment at Amenify when we realized, oh, great. Like 
these properties have now trusted us to sell them, to sell their residents, these services, housekeeping, dog walking, so on and so mm -hmm. forth. We're now, we were a B2B brand and now we're, you know, we have to sell a, a, a direct to consumer product. And, you know, this was, this was well into the, uh, the, the iPhone age. Right. And so you've got, you know, some of the most sophisticated apps, that you're competing with and you're trying to find a place on someone's phone, right? You're mm. competing with Uber and Netflix and Airbnb. And you know, how do we fit in? How do we possibly fit in on a, on a shoestring budget? And so, you know, one is how do we build a great product, but also, you know, how do we communicate the product to the, you know, the consumer out there? And, and it, it got me into thinking and sort of thinking through and sort of solutioning with the MNFI team on, who is the consumer today and how do they compare to what they were 10 years ago or 20 years ago or, you know, um, prior to, uh, I guess, web two or prior to the iPhone and whatnot and, you know, how the consumers evolved. And I think, you know, there's, there's, we think about how the consumer, how you define the consumer today and how the consumer thinks about products versus how they used to think about it in the past. And I think the thing you, you then attach that to or connect that to is brand loyalty, right? So, because you can talk about consumers, but really what matters when you talk about consumers is what consumers associate with, what brands, they, what products they buy, what what turns them on to a brand and what doesn't. And that shifted over the past, you know, 20 years or so. And for better or worse, the consumer is far more sophisticated today than they were 20 years ago. And there's an argument that, oh, brand loyalty is dead, right? Like, oh, no one cares anymore about brand. And, and really, I... I I, I would push back on that and say that brand loyalty is not dead. It's just, it's just evolved given the change and given like some fundamental changes in the landscape uh, regarding kind of democratization of information, access to information, the ability for consumers to have a voice where they, you know, where they couldn't previously. And that's changed how the consumer thinks about their leverage with brands that they would associate with, right? There's also the ability for consumers to kind of think of themselves as a brand, right? And, you know, everybody has a voice through all of these social platforms and, and a lot of them think through thoroughly through how they want to present that voice, present that brand. And, and they think of themselves as a brand and then think about how they want to associate and who they want to associate with. Um, and so, you know, that, that's something that I think about a lot, just, you know, intellectually, not necessarily only with regard to when I was working on Amenify, but the, the consumer today, yes, is sophisticated and is far more sophisticated than we're in the past, but they're also, you know, a lot more fascinating yeah. and dynamic. Well, uh, maybe it was two years ago, Reed, that we read Seven Powers by Hamilton Himmler. Yeah, I was going to go hooked with him, but okay. you can jump into Seven Powers. Well, I was just saying, he Hamilton says that they're one of the seven powers of a great business can be brand loyalty. So I understand where you're saying there's a conversation out there that there's maybe I saying dead is a is a nice clickbaity way to put it, but I'd say maybe there's less appetite to put up with uh, annoyances of, of brand now, but you still have people that are super you know, uh, a Mercedes or an Apple or a Tiffany's. Um, but, uh, in multifamily, I don't know that I ever experienced like, or I've not witnessed, it seems like real brand loyalty. I know there's a lot of multifamily property managers that are having that conversation to say like, okay, should all the, she was trying to think of an example, but, uh, like, uh, wasn't it like Avenue, whatever. I'm a five. 
Thank you. Yeah, like they had talked about, like, okay, should we go with a with like a, a strategy where we go to market that way? And then, so I'm wondering how you think about that first on like the property management side. Is it have you witnessed great brand loyalty in a demonstrable sense? I guess where it's real worth it. And I guess then we can take it from there. And if you want to mention anything about Hooked, you can. Oh, go ahead. You can respond to that first. <laughs> well, I guess so. It's a great question, and I think um, it's it's hard to say. I think it's hard to sit here and say definitively whether, you know, I've witnessed or I haven't witnessed actual anecdotal instances of brand loyalty. I think, you know, the consumer today has certain characteristics about them that are, are clear, you know, they're more sophisticated, but the, the, they're clear characteristics about them. And I think the question is, is, is the multifamily industry thinking about those characteristics and thinking about delivering against those characteristics, given the unique advantages or, you know, or access that they have to that resident, given that they, you know, they live in their, in their properties, right? Um, <clears throat> residents are, ever, you know, they're, they're, they're multi-device, multi-channel, right? So in multifamily as an operator, are you thinking about, hey, am I hitting them through all the various channels that I have access to them on? And am I sending them the right message at the right time, right? They care about personalization in that sense. Um, so are you, you know, are you hitting them multi-channel? Are you creating a lifestyle? Are you creating, rel you know, relevance and personalization? Um, those are kind of the, their characteristics that I think that, and we can dive into those a little bit more, but, um, you know, when, when I was at Amenify's, that, that was some of the things that we were thinking about with regard to that second point around creating a lifestyle, right? The, the consumer or the, the, the resident thinks about those things. And I think it depends on the class of the asset, but the, the resident thinks about those things. Like what is, what does this brand stand for? Right. And, and does that line up with my values uh, on a personal level? And um, you know, if they care about community and they care about engaging with the residents around them, right. What are the services? What are the, what's the programming that that community is offering? Um, and so just, if we think about that sort of, looking through that lens, that was where Amenify had the ability to kind of fit in to that part of the equation is like, hey, are you offering a lifestyle to these residents? Are you offering, you know, ways for them to engage with other residents, but also providing them with services that puts time back in their day so they can go, you know, to that happy hour, hang out with their neighbors and whatnot, um, take their dog on a walk because, you know, their place is being cleaned for them. Um, you know, not to necessarily put it just back on you, but I'm, I'm curious as, as you guys work with a lot of multifamily operators and, and a lot of what you guys help them with is messaging and delivery of that messaging, you know, uh, how does that vary, you know, operator by operator in terms of how they position their brand? Well, there are certainly some folks that have talked to me personally, and I'll be curious to get your take read but about like how do they develop their brand and should they really be developing a corporate brand or should they be developing just a brand on the property like on that individual asset i think one of the challenges i've seen in this industry is that uh, we deal with a lot of third-party managers it used to be like 80 percent of our business but now it's probably 50 percent. but if you think about a third-party manager they don't really care as much about the guy's asset across the street that you manage they care about their asset and then there's some ego, it seems, tied up into it with the, you know, the owner of the asset where they're like, well, I, I care about my brand and what I'm doing for this thing. And I want to build it up and then then probably flip it, um, you know, for a profit. So I actually think the industry has some fundamental things with the way it approaches things from a third party management standpoint where it's hard to um, to reinforce brand loyalty because you can't like 
take any of the NMHC top 50 or takes most of them and just say, great, we're going to go to market with that brand. Because one, it's hard to get great customer, I get consumer awareness at a mass level if you don't have enough properties. And the only one with like real with enough properties maybe might be Graystar because it's kind of it's everywhere versus these regional brands. But even Graystar, most of those are then third party managed and you, it's just not the incentive of that. Mm -hmm. So unless you start doing with like what Hilton does or something where it's like you are leasing the Hilton brand, even though you're third party managed, then maybe, you know, or any of those, right, hospitality, then maybe. But that would be such a change for the industry that I think it's hard. Uh, so then you're basically stuck at the individual asset level. In addition, I don't know that you could go to a full like, Let's promote a Graystar, a Lincoln, a, a Bazudo, and make it this consumer brand like the Apple or the Tiffany, because uh, this industry right now there's so the supply because of the supply situation and where people want to set like set rents and then keep raising them if they can by double digits a year. You're in a way I think. D destroying loyalty. If I move into your place, I may have had this great perception, but imagine if I go to buy a car and I move into, or I buy this car and then all of a sudden my oil change this year was a hundred bucks and next year it's 200 bucks and then it's 300 bucks. I'm going to get really pissed off at that, that manufacturer and I'm not going to use that car anymore. Right. That's what I think a lot of consumers experience at the property. It's like my rent was 2000 bucks and now you're asking me for 20, uh, 2250 and then you're asking me for 2500 and you don't care if I move out. And yet I see on your website, you're offering two months free for someone new to move in and so you're going to raise my rent and not offer me free so that so i don't know reed if you want to add on yet before kind of he responds to the, i'll say that fundamental mm -hmm. issue we have with brand yeah i think it's a great point i think there's a certain amount of forgiveness if you have true brand loyalty that somebody would would allow uh or or i guess exhibit you know on that whole pricing thing i think it's not one or the other as far as corporate you know, you should focus there or the property. You mentioned the tangible, intangible. It's a good example of that. So I think you don't want to be in a scenario if you're a property management company and I say Graystar and there's no word association with mm -hmm. like consumers where they're like, I don't know what that means. <laughs> I, I have nothing to say back to you. Yeah. Uh, but um, I don't think it's realistic that you're going to get the kind of uh, active uh, resonant, if you will, like really leaning into a brand through your corporate you know, branding. I think that has to happen, you know, at, at the property site. And that's where you can actually, whether it's community events or whether it's, you know, through social media, whether it's happening within the community itself among residents where people are talking about maybe, you know, DEI or environmental different issues. And, and that's where that core value connectivity can happen and you can really touch it and feel it versus what happens at the corporate level. I, agree one of the biggest challenges coming back to david's point about pricing that you would face if Graystar were to say hey we want to be as well known as mcdonald's like with the day-to-day -day person out there um but i don't think anyone's really gone that aggressive or been that bold to make that move because it is costly i mean it costs a ton of money uh to do that amount of marketing and advertising but i think it's there for the taking i'd be really excited and interested to see and uh, no knock to Graystar, but I'd be even more intrigued to see somebody that wasn't Graystar go after that and say, hey, this is the essence of like this management company. And we very much are about, you know, these kind of core issues, uh, not core issues, but core values. Um, and, and whether that had an impact, yeah. but somebody would need to have the capital and the courage to do that because there's no guarantees that it would in fact have the outcome that they were looking for. Cause you know, we hear that all the time with advertising marketing. I don't know how well it's working. How do I really define that? My last, uh, I guess point on this thread 
is how we would define you went through, and I appreciate that, some of the characteristics of brand loyalty, but that's also what makes it so challenging to defend. It's kind of like SEO, organic social. We're always like trying to talk people through the value of that, and it's fractional, so it makes it hard. You can't just say this is the one thing, and it's the same thing with brand loyalty. So if you're trying to defend like a budget or focus on that when it comes to consumers, you know, you could be looking at social media, uh, you know, um, you could be looking at usage statistics when you mentioned the plat- platform of the Minify, um, et cetera. I had more examples, but it's fractional to me. And that makes it so much harder to really, I guess, get right, pursue, and then know you're getting the ROI behind it, if that makes sense. Yeah. Yeah. That's a good, I mean, it's a good point. I think the, the, the definition of brand loyalty within the context of multifamily, I think, is unique in the sense that you can't look at it necessarily as as uh, the, the the living experience at a community uh, and compare that with the brand loyalty of a product like an iPhone or a Yeti cooler, right? Just because the life cycle stage of that consumer, the life stage of that consumer, just you know, works differently over the course of someone maybe you know at at a stage where they're moving into a home, they're purchasing a home or they're moving to a new city or they're changing careers or they're having a family or they're, you know, going through a divorce or a graduation, whatever you want to call it. And so um, I think brand loyalty needs to have its sort of own unique definition within the context of multifamily. Um, and I totally hear the the pricing you know, issue, right? Like consumers are becoming more sophisticated. It takes a couple of clicks for them to figure out what's going on in the background while their rent is getting, you know, uh, significantly increased year over year. Um, but you know, I, all, on, on the flip side of it and to, to your point, Reed about, you know, I think there is an opportunity out there for the taking that's not being leveraged is I think the relationship dynamic between the resident and the property, given the tools that are out there and given what's being utilized is just sort of nowhere near where it needs to be. Right. When you talk about, the sophisticated brands out there that are able to leverage uh, a captive environment and how they use that captive environment to really create uh, like a holistic relationship with their consumer. I, I, I feel like our industry is, is still, you know, is, is not, is not at that point and they're not close, right? Where the, the, the number of touch points through a consumer's, you know, sort of day to day and life that, that, that our industry could play in and and doesn't and just charges rent and offers four walls and a roof i think there's a massive gap there uh, and the tools are out there to be able to close that gap uh, and i don't know whether that's you know owner operator whether it's a you know better better vendor ecosystem whether it's you know figure it out ways to inject technology and s- those solutions into the industry faster but i think um, that's a huge opportunity that's that's not yet being utilized well, I, to Reed's point, I think the mass market McDonald's w- isn't going to make sense. It's not a leap I would make if I was one of those large operators, but the regional, because you need a certain amount of density, right? Like you can't, uh, I remember when I lived in New York, um, I had a friend, I drove 300 miles to go to a CC's pizza because all growing up, they'd heard CC's pizza on the TV, but there was, it's 300 miles away. It's like, so this doesn't make sense if there's not enough density, why CC's buying the you know, tri-state metro, right? So regionally, if you can get, I don't know what that density is, but if you have enough density, then I think you could. So like uh, Blanton Turner would be my example up in Seattle or maybe Prometheus down in the Bay Area where you could do that. But then you make a really good point, Phil, with 
um, the, the life stages. If uh, so many properties we talk to are targeting young professionals, <laughs> right? And young professionals, what do they do? Like their career changes, they go through, they're going to go through like three or four life stages in 10 years. So it's going to be really hard to get like a, a decade out of them at, at, at your management company or frankly in an apartment, right? So I think unless you are going, uh, super niche so if it wasn't regional then maybe it would be niche on like these those concepts that have popped up where people um it's almost like a subscription apartment or something where it's like all right i'm a i'm a god this is my first podcast back from paternity leave what i is? love it i'm actually keeping count i shouldn't have told you but that's the second i i'm, <laughs> Major I'm making it simple and calling them blackouts but, yeah you know for those that don't know and i think most of our listeners would david and his wife had uh, a baby uh Six weeks, eight weeks, eight weeks, yeah. eight weeks ago. And uh, I joked with him about when he came back, I was like, now you're going to know what it's like to be me. Of course, my kids are much older than his, but having those sleep deprived blackouts where he loses his train of thought. Because yeah. I'm notorious for them on this podcast. And now da David would like count the number of seconds before I could recapture my my thinking. I so far am, am pitching a no hitter, no, no blackouts, <laughs> but you already have two. So. Uh, the the Avenue Five. Yeah, exactly. The tide well, is turning quickly. I actually saw Avenue Five in my head, and I was like, "Shoot, was that a property or a management company?" <laughs> but this one, I do to get digital nomad. So if you have the digital nomads, and you just focused on those, and you hit the major cities, like you mentioned, I mean, if I was twenty-five cities or something, right? So if you had like New York, Boston, Austin, Denver, Bay Area, then maybe you could build a brand where you're like, "Hey, if you're a digital nomad, this is the one that you you go with." And maybe you could get some brand loyalty. There. But again, until their life stage changes, they they're no longer digital nomad. They have a family or whatever. So, um, anyways, go yeah, for it. And there there are those. There are definitely those flexible living sort of platforms that are out there and 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 trying to sort of carve out a market and and figure out how to fit into the inventory ecosystem and whatnot. Um, Landing is one of them, right? Yeah, yeah. There are others, right? And those are really interesting, but just like, you know, just like fitting just the short-term rental industry into multifamily uh, with, you know, a pandemic in between, you know, there are multiple cycles of these business models and companies that are going to run through, try to figure out how to make it work, uh, make it work inside a multifamily, some blood's going to get spilled, right? It's, it's not easy. And, and in fairness to your point earlier, at Amenify, we did have the ability to, uh, you know, when a resident reached out and said, hey, great news, I, I used to live at this Amenify property and now I live at this, can you transfer my account? Mm. We had the ability to do that. And it was infrequent. <laughs> Mm -hmm. did not happen very often. Mm -hmm. Right. And so <clears throat> if you're building a portfolio and an offering that serves a specific life stage of a consumer, you have to ask the question, Hey, maybe it's unrealistic to say, Oh, we expect that someone's going to move from this apartment to another apartment, uh, you know, under our umbrella and maybe think more about while they're living at the, you know, these are, these are, consumers that think of themselves as brands think of themselves as the ability to influence and when they when they like a brand and when a brand resonates to them when a service offer, uh, offering resonates to them they want to tell their peers about it D do you think about brand loyalty differently given that life life cycle or life stage challenge of the consumer and maybe it's more through the lens of okay well how 
how and in what way does that resident engage with the property and engage with the community while they're living there, right? And, you know, it, it, what's the usage rate of, of these amenities that we offer, these services we offer? Like, how often are they coming to our events, things like that? How, how, how well can we sort of foster that sense of community while they're living at the community to sort of make them an advocate moving forward? Because at some point in the next couple of years, we're marketing to one type of, of life stage, and they're going to move on. They're going to move to another city. They're going to get married. They're going to buy a home. And we're just going to be, we're just, there's not going to be in market for our product anymore. Mm-hmm. So it's, it's an interesting thing to think about. I forgot. I, I, I don't think we asked Everett this. I definitely hit him a few times on, you know, KPIs, how they were going about the business development and then the, just the general business model. But does, do the properties get a cut like with these vendors? As of right now, um, to kind of peel back a curtain right now, as of right now, the the pro- yeah, yeah, as of right now, the properties don't get a cut. However, we anticipate that that's going to be need to be part of a manifest business at some point mm-hmm. in the sense that like, you know, maybe we need more competition, uh, more folks that are sort of pushing us in the, that direction. But, you know, a is a revenue center, right? We, we leverage the resident wallet as opposed to the property wallet in terms of how we monetize right so you know i mean that that is an you know we believe or you know when i when i was last there and if i believe that that is inevitable but i look at that as as a big opportunity for the industry right like like one of the things i get super excited about is when i see that like Operators have really well developed ancillary teams where they're doing managed Wi-Fi and they've converted a couple of floors to STR and you know they're they're um, they've got like a you know uh, you know some kind of a, a retail component whether it's a coffee shop or something and 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 they're 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 growing NOI through these sort of ancillary channels parking whatever you you name it right. Uh, there, there is so many opportunities. I think there are so many opportunities, Amenify included, right, for for you to expand the dynamic of the relationship with the resident beyond just rent to be able to offer these services, given that they live right there in your building. Um, and so, I I think that's more of an opportunity than sort of a, a crossroads, if you will. Yeah, it makes sense to me because if you don't start offering that, then you know what's to stop eventually? You know, some of these property management companies that have higher densities start developing this themselves and going direct versus, you know, I don't see that happening for a lot of reasons, but theoretically that could happen if you got too complacent and didn't start looping them in on on those. But I coming back to those proof points, and this is still somewhat connected to the brand loyalty, but. Um, and I'm honing in on Amenify, but this is for a lot of prop tech. Is it the usage, you know, where it's like, that's how we are demonstrating. So you see just through usage statistics that they are, are very active. Um, or is it through like NPS? It's like, and, and that's when we say NPS, it's not just the experience of the property, but specifically amenities, you know, um, and that's how we're going to demonstrate this. Or is it like you can see through social media, you know, um, when you mentioned like referring out and saying this is something we want to see more and more. Is that what you point to? Is it the NOI? Um, there, it's, it's fractional. And that's my word of the podcast. But, that, but you have all these avenues to your point, which is great because it's like we have a lot of different things that we can point to and ultimately build off and evolve the business model, which gives us the longevity that obviously – uh, 
at least investors would be excited to see. So it's interesting. Yeah, it's it's topical given the the brand loyalty conversation. Um, there's there are ways that at Amenify, you know, when I was there, we thought about, uh, hey, how are we doing a good job, right? And there's metrics that I can talk about, and then there's uh, externally, uh, how does how does the customer, how does the not the the resident customer, but the property customer think about us? And we thought about you know the property as being the number one customer, the resident as a very close second and the service provider as a third. And so how does the property think about us as a, you know, as, as that customer and how does the service provider think about us? And it was, the dynamic was night and day different, right? With regard to the residents, all the things you'd assume, right? They, every time they have a service, they rate it out of five. What's our rating? Uh, you know, what's their, uh, purchase rate? What's their repurchase rate? You know, uh, how do we keep residents from going dormant? Um, in terms of number of days between buying a service, every service has a different dormant time frame, right? As I'm sure you can imagine, you know, uh, meal delivery is much shorter, tighter time frame going dormant than housekeeping. Um, but the the B2B client, the property management company is or the 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 real you know the real estate managers is was the most interesting in terms of you know, them evaluating us as a customer and it depended on who they were. Right. And a lot of times for the higher end vertically integrated brands that, or, or REITs that just, you know, uh, uh, controlled the entire experience, they were evaluating us in the same way that we were internally and saying, I want to see the, I want to see reports of the ratings every month. I want to, I want to see what like the confirmation rates are on the services and whatnot. Um, and this is sort of more a statement of the industry, but when it came to the third-party managers, uh, you know, they're, you know, as we know, man property management is a hard business, right? And so they're running around either trying to win new business or trying to keep the business that they have. And oftentimes, in fact, more often than not, their, their con main concern was, you know, I just don't want to hear about Amenify. And if I don't hear from you, that means everything's mm -hmm. fine and and we're good and you could stay at the property. And then of course they wanted to drop, you know, Amenify's three or four slides into their client pitches to be able to say, hey, look at this cool technology, tech-enabled service platform that we use. Here's why you should hire us to manage your property for you. And so it was very different. The dynamic of like those multifamily customers and what they actually cared about was very different across the different sort of customer types. So where do you think this needs to go when it comes to brand with, or mo how should multifamily be thinking about brand with their consumer? You, I think you started to sort of uh, talk about customer experience, which I totally agree with you. To me, that seems like when you mentioned when you stay in prop tech, I mean, that'd be interesting if you if that was the angle you thought, thought you should go because you have the big uh, PMS systems or whatever, that should be the, the customer experience system. But that I, I don't think they think of the consumer as, as their customer at all, like a distant, distant customer. Right. So um, it, are you, would you be saying that customer experience is where multifamily should focus for brand or something else? So, so one thing I'm not an expert in is the sort of um, sort of endemic, uh, sort of touch points throughout the resident life cycle um, that these major PMS systems are supposed to be responsible for, right? Like what's the SLA on like when a management ticket gets submitted, you know, how, how does that, how does that team respond and engage with that resident and solve that issue? Like I'm not an expert there. And so I don't want to just, you know, sort of make comments on that. But when I think about more broadly, the power of 
And when I say the power, like the value on those credit cards that all those residents are holding in their back pockets, when I think about all of the all of the different services and products and brands that consumers interact with on a on a on a daily, monthly, you know, quarterly, annual basis, and the captive nature of the relationship between or the opportunity of of the captive nature of the relationship between the property and the resident. I think when you think about all those touch points, those touch points should be mapped. And we, there should be a list of all those touch points. So it's like, what does the resident do? Just simple example. The resident hires a, or pays for a, a, subscribes to an internet service, right? Just as a, one example, right? That's one touch point, right? Those touch points should be mapped. And, and this is a very pie in the sky. I'm not saying we're close to this. I'm saying this is how I feel the relationship dynamic should be between the property and the resident is with those mapped touch points, between you know consumers and services, those sh we should we should look at that list. The industry should look at that list and then ask the question: Why are we not offering this service? Right? If there's a reasonable, pragmatic reason why it just doesn't make sense to offer that service, you know, powered by a third party through the property where the property is the touch point, but it but it's powered elsewhere to 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 sort of operationally make it realistic. Th that that's the way I think about. Um, brand loyalty in the sense that, you know, it's, it's, it's a, it's a bad word when I say it, but the, 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 the real estate should own in every sense of the word that the, uh, the, the life cycle of that resident and, and think of them almost more as consumers, not just, Hey, our responsibility is make sure your, your fridge works, your pipes don't leak. Yeah. Right. So, so, you know, I'm, I may be getting too pie in the sky and speaking too broadly, but I think that's the opportunity and I don't think we're close to it, but you know, uh, that, that, that's sort of how I think about the mission. But why not? It's kind of like if you were a mall operator, your idea is like, okay, how could I get more of these consumers to not just go into the flagship Macy's or something and go to, you know, go to the food court and do these other things. So it makes sense. I, I was going to actually use the word opportunity if you hadn't gone there, because what you're saying is that Reed always, always internally talks about share of wallet and the property. I mean, you're, uh, your rent is a big part of your expense. I don't know, on average, like 20% for some, for some people, but that's only 20%. So you're leaving 80% on the table. Uh, right. And you have a captive audience if they're there. So you're more of saying the opportunity is how do you monetize or, you know, whatever. And it doesn't all, all have to be in this like Scrooge McDuck way. Like how, no, how I to take those. Totally. And, and so, and I'll give you an example <laughs> that we thought about and, and piloted a little bit at Amenify, but you know, when you talk about, we, we, we've been saying, you know, fractional has been your word of the podcast minds, you know, life cycle stage, right? But the, 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 a life cycle stage is super valuable to brands. Brands want to know when a birth, a death, a graduation, a marriage, a divorce is happening, right? Because that is where that's a fork in the road for consumers where they think about things differently. They form new relationships, right? And the holy grail of life cycle stages is a new mover, right? A new mover spends $9,000 and interacts with like 75 new brands in the first few, three months of a move, right? And brands climb over themselves, you know, over each other to try to get access to a new mover to, you know, you, you walk into these apartment buildings, you see those like, you know, envelopes of coupons. It's just a pile of them because brands are just trying to find who that new mover is. There's those stories of, you know, the dad that gets upset at Target because, you know, they were sending uh, pregnancy ads or they were sending uh, diaper ads to uh, his daughter. And it turns out yeah. his daughter was pregnant and the internet knew it before he did. So it's like the, the life cycle stage 
value is so high. And, and we know more than anyone who a new mover is, right? And so why, you know, as a very simple example, why couldn't you move into a new, a new unit, right? And in the fridge is Blue Apron, and in the pantry is all of these sort of Tide-powered CPG products, and in the bathroom is, you know, Harry's and, you know, or Dollar Shave Club, and, and all of these, like, high-value placements at a very high-value life cycle stage, and you're now you know, exponentially enhancing the move-in process because mm -hmm. people have 30 boxes in their living room and they don't know which box has the thing that they need, but now you're mm -hmm. solving it because there's paper towels in the kitchen already. And mm -hmm. there's, you know, there, there are, um, you know, uh, samples of the products that they need curated throughout the unit to just make their move-in experience, you know, more pleasant. And does that mean they're going to rent again? who knows, right? Who knows whether they got to move cities or buy a home or, or whatnot, but there are so many opportunities in touch, man. That's a huge ancillary opportunity right there to enhance the living experience, the resident and expand the, the dynamic of that relationship. Well, Reed, we're close on time. So why don't you try to land this plane? <laughs> well, I don't know if this would help land the plane, but uh, it's just something that I'd be curious to get your, your thoughts on and partly for Minify, but in general, um, the book Hooked, uh, it's about product and, and how you build great products. And it simplifies um, things, uh, I guess, products into vitamins or painkillers. And uh, meaning it, you have to be one or the other, and the dream is to be both. But if you're going to build a lasting product, you have to be solving a, a big problem, which is the painkiller. Or you have to just be you know, the daily vitamin where it's like they have to have it every day. And I think that's what would be tough or I imagine was with Minify um, still is, is that you're not necessarily one or the other, um, but you have the potential maybe to be both, um, which is to get that kind of daily active usage. And that's where maybe more like kind of the uh, inner community or resident like plays is critical versus just counting on them. As you mentioned, whether it's uh, the housekeeping, dog walking, or whether it's food, you know, how do you get them regularly into the platform? Um, but, and how does brand loyalty fit inside of that? And it seems like brand loyalty would skew more towards the vitamin, but the book doesn't uh, actually, I guess, validate that. It says you'd be surprised that you can create as much brand loyalty through a painkiller as you can through a daily vitamin. And the example, uh, there's several that the book cites as far as, you know, the the, the multiplier of getting to both is Facebook. It started with more of the daily vitamin um, where it's like, just thought it was so cool to be able to see what other people were doing and, you know, I'll go as far as using the V word, but you know, almost the voyeur, like, you know, tapping into that where it's like, what's happening with my friends, with my family. But then they were able to get to a painkiller because it was the connectivity, which obviously is kind of the mantra or slogan there about connecting the world. But where now I use it as a tool um, that I didn't have before to stay connected you know, with family members. So I think it's fascinating when we talk about brand loyalty with the consumer, uh, which side of that spectrum you're really on. And then is there a path to get to both? And I feel like with where Minify is at and some of the things opportunity described, the opportunity to, to live around both of those is there. Um, it's not, it's not achieved yet, but as you talk about all these different touch points and life cycle, um, I think, uh, it's exciting to think that if, if you guys get it right, um, that you may end up both a painkiller and a, a daily vitamin. Yeah, I think so. Uh, it, it's really, I wrote that down. So I'm going to read, I'm going to read that. Uh, so it sounds interesting, but, um, I think 
whether you're in the vitamin painkiller category, you cross over, you're in both. <clears throat> I think what I what I experienced sort of as as we sort of had to be, you know, become direct consumer marketers at Amenify was it came a lot, it came down to personalization and relevance, right? You've got attributes about the resident, you've got data about the resident, and you've got behavioral data on how they've interacted with your product or how they've interacted with your messaging. And in there is a formula of the lowest hanging fruit of the folks that, you know, have, have said they're moving out and need, you know, need a, a move out clean or, um, you know, are, are, um, you know, uh, just had a, a Thanksgiving dinner and need, you know, need a, a housekeeper to come over or, um, you know, you're offering a service that, uh, like a, a take and bake meal delivery offering, and it's about, it's about to be a three day weekend and the stores are going to be closed and, and you're messaging them, Hey, is your fridge stocked for the weekend? Right. And, and tie that into all the different layers of data that you have access to, to be able to deliver that really relevant message. One, because it's going to drive whether it's a painkiller or a vitamin, but also that's at this point, like that's what consumers expect. And it sounds crazy to say, but you can almost, it's almost, a you know, to use your analogy, it's almost a poison pill for a company if they deliver a message at the wrong time to a consumer. They're almost that sophisticated to say, like, whoa, whoa, like that's not relevant to me. Like I didn't try that product or I didn't visit, I didn't leave my cart empty. Like I didn't leave my cart uh, without checking out. Like I'm unsubscribing, like, mm -hmm. you know? And so that that's what I found. There, there's so much more, right, dynamism to the entire equation, but that was just, you know, what, what, regardless of what you fell into that, you know, I found that data and personaliz like personalization and relevance was super important to being able to cut through the noise of the hundred emails people receive from marketers. Yeah. It's a very fascinating time. David knows I, I can go off the deep end when we talk personalization, but just, uh, you know, we're at an era also where we talk about more sophistication and awareness of, of the consumer. And a lot of that is around data and data privacy. And so the expectation for personalization is at its highest. It's at a peak where it's like, how dare you send me that ad, you know, on this day, you know, it's like, you got it wrong. Um, versus, you know, the, the backlash right now about data and what people know, what brands know, because it's like, you should not know that about me. Yeah. So it puts brands and, and, um, especially in the consumer side in a really tough spot on where they're going to fall within that spectrum of like, we're going to give you the most personalized experience in the world, but not creep you out at the same time. So yeah, fascinating kind of intersection we're at right now with all that. Yeah. That's probably a topic for a dedicated podcast on its own. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. If you scour through a few more of our episodes, you'll, you'll hear that. Uh, well, you'll notice that's a theme. Well, Phil, is there anything else you want to uh, say before we get out of here? Uh, no, I mean, this was super fun and um, uh, enjoyed chatting with you guys. And, uh, you know, can't see it from here, but great office. <laughs> and uh, hopefully, you know, you'll offer me a tour after we get done. Yeah, I'll give you a tour. Uh, if people want to get in touch with you, what's the best way? Yeah, so I've got a, at the moment, um, I'm, I'm, uh, Phil Matsuhashi on LinkedIn. But Everybody knows also, how to spell that, right? Yeah, M A T S U H A S H I, 
and uh, you know, sure, email as well. Uh, my my cons- my cons- you know, I'm doing some consulting engagements right now, and so that is uh, Phil at Colfax Ventures, Colfax like the street, mm-hmm. Ventures.com. and uh, yeah, that's how you get in touch with me. Cool. We'll put that in the show notes, so if people need to need to get in touch, it's they don't have to try to slow it down and type it out for you. Well, Phil, thank you. Appreciate the time. Great chatting with you guys. Yeah, it was awesome. Thank you.